Courtney. Hey, Sasha. What is a ghost's favorite kind of live performance? I don't know. Shakespearean tragedies? That's a good one, and they'll <laughs> love it even more if it's on Broadway. Hey! <laughs> spoop it's hour. Spoop Hour. Welcome back to Spoop Hour, a paranormal comedy podcast hosted by two Halloweenies. I didn't mess that up this time. You this did is it. Sasha. You fucking crushed it. This is Courtney. Very proud of Sasha for fucking crushing it. So as always, find us on social media. Yes. So- so- Sasha media. Social media. Find us on Sasha media. media. Things like in Sashagram and yeah. Twit Sasha. I was going to say, the difference between social media and Sasha media is I'm not going to ruin democracy. Hey! In fact, we're going to actively save democracy. But real quick, we're on the social meds being Sasha media at Spoop Hour on Twitter and Instagram. You can also email us, spoophour at gmail.com. If you have a spooky story or you have a pet picture you want to share or you want to show us your Halloween costume for your stay-at-home Halloween costume or you need a little pep talk, I'll give you a little pep talk. I don't care what it's about. Email us, spoophour at gmail.com. We'll do a little pep talk. We'll make you feel better. We'll kick your problems in the face. Unless your problem is having people kick your problems in the face, in (laughs) which case we'll gently put it to bed with a nice mug of tea and tuck it in. (laughs) So, yeah, contact us. So... We're here to save democracy. We're going to do it. Just the two of us. I'm just kidding. Obviously, we're just the Paranormal Comedy Podcast. That's not our purview. Things are looking pretty bleak out there, friend. But if you are like me and you felt grim Friday night, I felt grim before this event happened, which we'll get into here in a minute. But then this thing happened. I took Friday night to feel hopeless and sad. And then I woke up Saturday and I was like, no, fuck this fuck this. This is bullshit. I'm sorry if your system relies on the health and wellness of one 87-year-old woman who has done more than her fair share, then your system has a fucking problem. So here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna call your representatives, especially if you live in a state where you have vulnerable Republican senators. So you're gonna call people, if you live in Georgia, Montana, Iowa, North Carolina, Maine, Arizona, or Colorado, you're gonna call them up and you're gonna raise some hell and say, hey, Maybe don't put a new person on the Supreme Court six weeks out from an election. You fucking dickheads. You can leave off the fucking dickheads. They'll probably like it more if you don't cuss at them because the people who answer the phones aren't at fault and they're probably not being paid a living wage. But the thing I have found is link it directly to your vote. Tell them that as a constituent of their state, their region, whatever, you will raise hell 
if they do not do as you say. You are the voter. You have the power. For years, they've been getting by because they tell you we don't have the power. And what, is, what difference does one vote really make? Fuck them. You will be their goddamn living ghost nightmare. You will call them every 20 minutes. You will leave a message for them every goddamn day. And they will never stop hearing from you. So you're going to do that. You're going to explain your position. You don't have to be aggressive with the people on the phone. But if it makes you feel better, you can be a little snippy. And yeah. And then also donate to people in those races who are running against the shitty Republicans currently holding the seats. So again, that's if you live in Georgia, Montana, Iowa, North Carolina, Maine, Arizona, or Colorado, especially. But if you live in a state like ours, where both of your senators are are Democrats and are viscerally opposed to this, go ahead and give them a call too and tell them, you know what, thanks for doing the good work. You're doing great. I'm happy about it. Apply that pressure, you know, like, encourage your colleagues in the Senate, Republican Mm -hmm. and Democrat, to make sure that they're on the right side. Yep. Yeah, even, like, people who, like, if you live in even states that don't have a vulnerable person, Mm -hmm. but you feel strongly about it, call them anyway. Like, it doesn't have to be a vulnerable one. If it's, if you live in Utah, if you live in Michigan, if you live really anywhere, just call and make sure. Yeah. Yeah, call and let them know that they will be hearing from you if they do not do what you say. Yeah. Um, what was the other one that was... Oh, West Virginia. They're mm. a de- they have Wild a Democratic and senator, and he likes Don't, to side with the Republicans sometimes. He does. So and if you'll notice, I did definitely. not mention the Kentucky race. Obviously, the person currently holding the Kentucky Senate seat is one of the worst human people to exist. Ever. He's the Senator... But, pa- I mean, I, I hate to make pop culture connections to government. He's the Senator um, Palpatine? But he is Senator Palpatine. Yeah, that's he's who that controlling everything. Is. And he's literally the worst. But here's the problem. The person who won the primary barely is a pro-Trump Democrat. So Kentucky is maybe not as close of a race as we would like it to be. We're not going to tell you how to vote. But Kentucky, go ahead and give your representatives a call. And you let that terrible turtle man know that he will never stop hearing from you. He can only unplug the phone for so long. You can also fax them, send them mail in the mail, and you can email them. Most of them will have a public-facing email. So even if they unplug their phones, as many of these fucks are likely to do, you can still keep contacting them. They can't hide forever. You let them hear from you, because that is your God-given right. And you can also do it through your phone by texting. Yes. Text RBG, the three letters, to 50409, and ResistBot will sign and automatically send a no confirmation for Supreme Court until after inauguration message to your official. Yep. So, like, if that, you can also do that. Do that and then call them. Do that and then email them. Do that and send them an you know, angrily worded postcard. Yes. By doing that, you also are buying stamps. Yeah, if you think <laughs> that that horrible turtle man isn't about to get a pissed off postcard with a bird on it from me, you are sorely mistaken. He's gonna. Because Senate Majority Leader, mm-hmm. he responds to all of us, which yeah. means he's gonna fucking hear about it. So... Feel your feelings. If you need to feel a little bleak for a little bit, that's okay. And raise some fucking hell. And then we're going to raise some hell. We're going to have RBG's memory be a revolution. And we're going to do the work now. So that's all. When, yeah. you, when you feel bleak and hopeless, look up one little tiny thing you can do to make something a little bit better. That could be donating a dollar to a campaign that you support. That could be even something so simple as do a little bit of recycling. Do something that's going to make you feel better and put a little bit more good out into the world. And do what you need to do. So, this that's whole, it. Spoofer goes political. I'm real yeah, mad. Yeah. This whole year has been a very big up and down of feeling fired up and feeling despair. Mm-hmm. You know, 
a lot of people have been doing a lot of different kinds of work all year, mm-hmm. basically. There have been a lot of metaphorical and literal fires to put out. There have been some yeah. horrible things happening in concentration camps. There's been shit happening and, like, phone oh, yeah. calls to senators and House of Representative members, like, mm-hmm. and state representatives so much all year. But we can't, like, lose hope or despair about it. Yeah. Like, you just have to keep fighting. We gotta show um, up. We gotta show up for marginalized people. Yeah. Use the privilege that you have if you have it. And you gotta fight the good fight. I am fortunate to be a white-passing, cisgender, heterosexual woman. So, while things are bleak for me, they're a lot bleaker for a lot more other people. So I'm gonna use my comparative level of privilege to raise some hell. We're not gonna rail on politics too much because the thing that it's very easy to doom scroll and to immerse yourself in it all the time because you feel a responsibility to it, it's not good for your brain. And, like, I realize that we are living through a time where our very existences are politicized, but as much as you can take a break from it and just give your brain a little bit of rest, as much as you can watch Taskmaster on YouTube or go outside for a walk in the beautiful fall weather or hug your cat or hug your partner or, like, hug yourself or hug a pillow that you bought because it cradles you like a baby and you sleep like a koala and your significant other doesn't like being clung to like a koala... That's fine. Do what you need to do. Not that all of those are examples from my personal life. It's not important. (laughs) So do what you need to do. We love you. I'm not kidding about the pep talk. If you need a pep talk, email us, spoopar at gmail.com. I was going to say, shout out to all of our West Coast friends who do not have beautiful fall weather right now. You sure don't, but you're doing your best. The air is a little bit getting better. So take care of yourself. Raise some hell. Do what you need to do. If you can't raise some hell right now, that's okay. We will shoulder your hell for you. But when you are able, raise a little bit of hell. And that was this episode of Spoop Art. No, just kidding. (laughs) It's been one hour of me screaming at the microphone about something other than Twilight. (laughs) We have, uh, yeah, so speaking of Twilight, just a reminder that if you support our Patreon at $3 a month, you can listen to Courtney read Twilight so you don't have to. And (sighs) we have just recorded part three. The seventh Well, seventh, the seventh episode and the mm-hmm. third part third of the third of book eclipse yes and that and went live on friday there was three parts and we did get to the end but it just didn't feel satisfactory at all no because nobody smothered jacob with a pillow so no let's we, leave the point at the end of book three we were all the two of us were unfortunately firmly team edward is not that the worst person. Yes, Edward. So not, not Team Edward, but Team no. Edward is not the worst person. <laughs> team, I guess if I have to pick someone in this fucking triangle, I pick Edward Cullen. Because the, the other two are worse. Even They're worse. Awful. Even Bella. But especially Bella, Jacob. Especially Bella, but especially Jacob. Especially Jake. I genuinely, I don't know that I've ever wanted to smother a fictional character with a pillow as much as I want to smother Jacob with a pillow. So... Anyway, did anything spooky happen to you this week? Uh, Other than the general crushing weight of existence. Yeah, it was mostly the general crushing weight of existence. It is Sunday afternoon, and I am still not recovered from last week. I had a pretty nice weekend, uh, all things considered, but I am still exhausted. Like, I have just Mm. not gotten over the exhaustion of teaching online. Yeah. And it's only been two weeks. Of teaching. And you got five this. weeks since I returned to work. You got and it's hard. Yes. But yep. you got this. I hope. I'm not, I'm not convinced. I'm convinced. This is me 
punching you in the face. Punching with me love. in the face. Punching with me. <laughs> because you got this. Pew pew. How about you? Did anything spooky happen to you? So remember when I said I was already going through it on Friday? Yeah. So those of you who listened to the past couple episodes know that there was a smell in my dryer. Yes. Uh oh. And on Friday, I thought I had defeated the smell because last weekend I did a really intense deep clean and cleaned some truly gross shit out of my dryer vent and out of the dryer itself. Mm-hmm. On Friday, I was doing some laundry and I heard a clunk and I thought, oh, did I not attach the dryer vent properly at the back? Has this come unclunked? Is that the noise that I heard? So I go down there, pull the dryer out and see that, yes, the dryer vent has opened and the source of the smell has fallen out. And it was the mummified corpse of a rodent of some variety. I think it was a rat or a squirrel based on the size. And I am not joking when I tell you that this traumatized me. Genuinely, I am now parceling my life into my life before this happened and my life after this happened. Because it was all the horror of having to deal with this dead body. Luckily, I had gloves on. Because even though when I took an initial look back there, I was like, is that a big clump of lint? I better put on gloves rather than just pick this up with my bare hands, which truly would have ruined me. That would have been the end of me. You would never hear from me again. Um, I put on gloves and grabbed it and dealt with it. But, like, it was disgusting. Skeleton was partially exposed. There were other horrible things that like dead things around it. And now I'm trying to find someone to clean my dryer vents. And I took almost every article of clothing that I own that I have washed recently, even though I know the dryer dries things very hot, so nothing could survive. So it's not like I've, you know, exposed myself to pathogens or whatever. It's just gross. So I took all of my shit to my fella's house and I did like five loads of laundry. (laughs) So. Wow. Yeah. You know, I did ask you if it was, because you said Uh, it smelled. You asked if it was a mouse. And I was like, I don't think so, because I would have found it. You found it. It wasn't a mouse. I found it, it and it wasn't a mouse. So in a way, we were both right. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want to say it's probably a squirrel, but it might be a squirrel. Because your dryer vent connects to the outside, right? Yeah, and we now have a thing on the dryer vent so stuff can't get in. Mm -hmm. Because we think that something got in, and then the dryer was run, and it fried. And it died. So anyway, I now am waiting for either next door to come the fuck through instead of just like doing the standard next door thing and actually recommend me someone to clean the dryer vent for the place that cleans dryer vents to call me back or to hear from our landlords who may have a guy. I don't know. That reminds me of when I was in like fifth grade, we redid Uh our kitchen at my parents' house. I'm just showing you oh. what I wrote down as my spooky oh, thing. Oh, dead fucking rodent, dead fucking rodent. In all caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like uh, 2000 or 2001. We redid mm-hmm. our kitchen at my parents' house. And to do that, we took out all the ceiling tiles. And mm-hmm. we went we were in the hope that we could like replace it with new drywall. And as we were taking out the ceiling tiles, there were many, many many skeletons of various things that fell out. Small creatures, not humans. Small creatures. So it's quite common to happen. That makes me feel better. Unpleasant. Because because you and your family are like your your family that lived in that house are all alive and you're all well and none of you have weird pathogens from dead critters. So it's probably fine that it's entirely possible I wore things after they went through the cursed dryer. 
because I don't actually know. But everything subsequently has been washed, so and we're probably I, fine. Listeners, I do want to tell you where we live. Where Courtney lives and where I used to live with her is a very nice place. It and is. It is wonderful. And sometimes I wish I could just like clone it like yeah. The Sims and put it on where I Your live. Your existing house. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. very nice. We have woods, which generally is nice to have animals. Yeah. Generally. Right now, I'm maybe feeling a little less charitable towards said animals, but, you yeah. know, it's no like, fault. You know, we lived, like, deep in the neighborhood, so there wasn't as much traffic. Mm-hmm. It's all just, like, mm-hmm. you know, pedestrians and kids. There's mm-hmm. a hiking trail. There's mm-hmm. hardwood floors. And there's only one dead thing in the dryer vents, and I dealt with it, so and it's gone now. <laughs> two full bathrooms and two and half, two half bathrooms. Baths. Yes, one of the half baths became... A triage unit where I put the bag containing the thing because I was like, I cannot deal with this anymore. I have cleaned. I'm going to do a deep clean of the floor at some point in the next couple of days, but like, I can't anymore. And Mm-mm. the serious third roommate was like, I will handle the trash bag. And I was like, thank you. I just Which, can't. Also, I am wearing a mysterious third roommate t shirt today. That's a quality. Pew, pew. I, post, I posted it on my Twitter yeah, uh, along so with the sh- like, mysterious third roommate's shop. If you like spooky skulls, you're in luck. What are we talking about you're today, Sasha, other than recent events? Haunted theaters! Pew, 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 So, haunted theaters, because many times, theaters are haunted. There are lots yes. of examples of haunted theaters the all end. over the world. The end. <laughs> you know, the thinking is that they are often darkly lit places that absorb energy inward. You've got the energy of the audience and the energy of the stage. The stage is bright and gives energy to the people in the audience, and the audience gives the energy back, right? And then mm-hmm. the people are leaving their own energy on the furniture and, you know, everywhere. So there's a kinetic flow of energy that basically locks into the theater, the, the space itself. And we talked about this before, like the stone stone theory. Stone type right? theory, Stone yes. type theory, right? Yeah. And so basically every performance compounds and harnesses that energy that's kind of going on on like a really creative level, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. you get altered states of consciousness because of imagery from the performance or that like everyone's having this shared collective experience and there's communal energy clusters in the space. And so, you know, you can think of this as like a very high energy location and spirits who maybe have a mundane existence, they just do the same thing every day because they're stuck on this, you know, in this realm. Yeah. They might go to a place of fantasy that they can, defi- you know, identify with, you know, while caught between their worlds. And, you know, oftentimes you'll get a story about, like, a stagehand or an actor or a, a guest, mm-hmm. an audience member, who would be, like, long dead but still roaming old-timey theaters and movie houses. But as I was doing some of the research into this, all of the buildings that I found were pretty old. Yeah. But, like like 20th early 20th century old or late 1800s old mm-hmm. and i did start wondering like what if the hoffman amc was haunted <laughs> you know that <laughs> movie so. theater built in like 2000 <laughs> or like 1999 it's been 21 years <laughs> yeah i think you know theaters are very emotional places like mm-hmm. both in terms of when you're acting you're supposed to be tapping into like emotions and emoting to a big group and then the big group hopefully is emoting right back at you so like you said it's like a big chargey thing like a big charging station for ghosts so if you're just like a boring ghost why wouldn't you go there sorry when you said emoting at me and you were like really animated on the webcam and i was like 
yeah, no one else votes to me anymore. No, just it's a, me. It's just black rectangles f- four days a week, and then Courtney on the weekends. <laughs> you should just as like have something. You should offer like a bonus point for anybody who like tapes a picture to their cam, so that like at least there's like a little smiley face drawn on a sticky yeah. note for you, and just be like, I will give you a bonus point if or, you like, draw a picture of yourself and put you it on camera, see, like a teddy bear. <laughs> oh, in yeah. front of your oh, webcam and, and you then you sit on the other side of the computer over here yeah. yeah and then it's like oh a ghost is ghost attending the class, class. <laughs> yeah it's like literally but just do anything to pretend please. like i'm talking to someone <laughs> anyway i digress anyway, so we're talking about haunted theaters because they are emotional places that basically charge up spirits so my haunted theater stuff comes courtesy of CondeNastTraveler.com, Stuff.co.nz, HauntedAuckland.com, WorldStrides.com, MessyNessyChic.com, and Playbill.com. So in Wellington, New Zealand, you have the St. James Theater, and it opened on December 26, 1912. Its goal was to strike a balance between live performances from jugglers, acrobats, and dancers, various plays and musicals, and silent movies. But it also has a number of dead performances from the number of in-house ghosts who wander the aisles. Get it? Dead performances to counteract live performances? (laughs) Halloween. (laughs) One of the most commonly spotted specters is that of Yuri, a Russian dancer who met his end after falling off stage during a performance. There are conflicting versions of how he fell. He may have just, like, fallen. He just, you know, misstepped and fell off stage. Sure. He might have been pushed by another Russian performer named Pasha, possibly out of, like, a, like, showgirls, I want to be in the spotlight, but you have it, I'm going to push you off stage so you can't perform anymore. Sure. Or he might have jumped off stage because he had fallen in love with a fellow dancer, but she had chosen a theater electrician instead. So he was Mm -hmm. like... If I can't have you, then I don't want to be around. Now in his afterlife, regardless of how he fell, he ultimately died from his injuries. Yuri typically signals his presence by playing with the lights or other electrical things around the stage. But, most notably, he is credited with saving the life of a projectionist in the theater multiple times. (laughs) Same projectionist. So probably Yuri's like, can you get your shit together, dude? I would like to go back to, like, playing with lights and not continuously saving yours. <laughs> the projectionist, whose name I couldn't find, there were multiple accounts of this happening to this guy, but I could not find what his name was. So the projectionist was searching for a light switch one night when suddenly every single light in the building went out. So he froze because he was like, oh, it's super dark now. And then he got hit with some sort of unseen force that pushed him several steps back. And then suddenly every light in the building came back on. And the man realized that when the lights had gone out, he was only a few inches away from the orchestra pit. So if he had taken his next planned step, he would have walked right into the orchestra pit and possibly (laughs) broken his legs or died. So he now believes that Yuri was the force pushing him away, being like, bro, the orchestra pit's right here. I'll get the lights for you. So... This projectionist learned his lesson and was more careful in the future. Just kidding. He was not. Yeah, multiple times, people. (laughs) 
this time he was standing on the stage with his infant son because it's not enough that he puts himself into danger. He also got to put his son into danger. So he's holding his infant son. They're standing on the stage and he hears a crash overhead. So he like looks up to see what's going on. And once again, he is pushed by an unseen force. But he's like, oh, no, I have my kid in my arms, except the force took the baby from him, floated it three meters and then handed it back to him. So all of this happened, like, very, very quickly. Like, there was the crashing noise, all this happened. He gets pushed out the way again, the baby floats on over. <laughs> then, when everything was over, the projectionist took a look, and he saw that once again, Yuri had saved his life and also had saved the life of his infant son. A beam had collapsed above the stage, and it landed exactly where he had been standing. So Yuri was like, out of the way! But I realize you have a baby, so I got him! Uh, He's a nice ghost, though. That's He's a just nice like, ghost, Whoa. but what? <laughs> Please be more careful, projectionist, for the love of God. On the less friendly side of the spectrum in the St. James Theater is the Wailing Woman. The Wailing Woman is believed to be the spirit of an actress who was maybe not so great at her craft, and she got booed off the stage one night, and she took it very hard, and she ended up taking her own life. Oh my so God. now... She haunts the theater where she had been trying to make her living and is a vengeful spirit. Mostly she causes actresses to have accidents. So I put in my notes, maybe she was the one who knocked down the beam that almost killed that guy. Oh, God. Because she's a little What did the projectionist do to you, (laughs) failed actress? (laughs) Jesus. She's just mad at everybody. It doesn't matter. I guess so. Typically, like I said, she targets actresses. And they find that they will suffer sprained ankles, sudden colds that render them unable to speak or sing, or they will fall from ladders or steps, and all of it will make them cancel performances so they can't actually appear on stage. Even Peter Jackson, yes, that Peter Jackson, Jackson. the one who directed Lord of the Rings, he has seen the Wailing Woman when he was staying in an apartment across the street from the theater. He woke up one night and found her standing at the foot of his bed. Oh, no. I don't like that. No, it's not good. That one's creepy. Yuri's nice, but then you have the wailing woman who's mm-hmm. like, what if I'm the opposite of Yuri? <laughs> oh, God. What if I also- drop eye beams on you? Yeah, what if you can get fucked, actress? There are also a few less identifiable ghosts, so they don't have as much of a personality and they don't have as much, like, going for them. There's an unknown tall, thin man who mostly, like, hangs out backstage and wheezes. (laughs) So just the ghost of some asthmatic from bygone eras. Also, the entire theater is home to the ghosts of a whole-ass boys choir. Oh. The boys performed at the theater one last time, and then they went off to do a tour and they got on a boat to do their tour, but it was World War II, and their boat never arrived, because a lot was going on during World War II. So now they hang out in the theater, and you'll know they're hanging around when you hear their ghostly music emanating from up in the stands. Wow, I, that's upsetting. Right? I read that, and I was like, wait, I don't get it. If they left the theater, why do they haunt the... Oh... Oh, I get it now. (laughs) And that's the St. James Theater in Wellington, New Zealand. Awesome. Yay. I've got the American Shakespeare Festival Theater in Stratford, Connecticut. Ooh. And this came from the Cosmic Society of Paranormal Investigation. 
can we join that? Is that like a thing you just pay like twenty bucks? I wonder. Bucks they their website was very like GeoCities esque, and you know Ooh, your basic right HTML right up our alley. So originally called the American Shakespeare Theater, then changed the American Festival Theater in nineteen eighty eight, and now called the American Shakespeare Festival Theater at Stratford. <laughs> is a theater in Connecticut that stands on the site of some of Stratford's first settlers, including John Pete and John Brismaid, whose home lot is where the theater itself stands. Just a um, couple of Johns. Just a couple of Johns settling Connecticut, you know. It happens. You know. Building the Connecticut, theater... Connecticut, more like John Con, am I right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Because Connecticut's first yeah. con. con. It rhymes with John, which John. was their name. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) building of the theater started in 1954, and then in 1955, Julius Caesar was the first play performed. For a second, I was like, Julius Caesar was way dead by the time they were building this theater. Shakespeare is Julius Caesar. Shakespeare is Julius Caesar. (laughs) I got there. So, Winston Churchill remarked that this new theater in Connecticut completed the three sides of the triangle and expressed hope that the three Stratfords, the one in England, the one in Canada, and the one in the U.S., might serve to bring the you know these three countries closer together through basically performance. Hmm. The playhouse itself is made from angelique, which is a kind of teak wood from France. Originally, a shipment of wood came from France to the 1939 World's Fair, and then the French went to war, and the teak was stored on Long Island for a very long time. Sure. Finally, France donated the wood for use at this theater in Connecticut, and it covers the place both inside and out. It is said that the hardness of this wood made it impervious to nails, and so every single piece had to be hand-drilled together. Oh my and god. This is before power drills. So. I was gonna say, they were like, they were literally, dr- they weren't just like, vroom, vroom. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No, thank you. I'd be like, let's pick a different wood, guys. <laughs> right? I don't think there teak is, is the s- way we want to go. <laughs> There's a special sundial at the theater, which is seen above the second floor terrace doors that are in front of the building, and it was a gift from the Timex company that makes watches, and is the only one known designed for daylight savings time. The Shakespeare family crest can be seen at the top of the sun, sundial, and then there's a sunburst in the center that sub- symbolizes genius setting fire to all it embraces, which is then flanked by the figures of comedy and tragedy crowned with stars of inspiration. That's this like very Dang. pretty... That's like, a super intense sundial. Yeah, intense sundial. So basically, you know, this, this playhouse opened mid-20th century, but by 1983, things had been going downhill, and the property was sold back to Connecticut. A lot of this was because, like, their the- for some reason, like, people just weren't going to the theater. Their performances oh. weren't being, you know, like, they were doing, like, two-for-one sales, basically, and, like, people still weren't attending. Oh, we love a two-for-one. We would have right? been all over that. And apparently the theater had been having a lot of problems, including with, like, their lights, about traffic outside, trash, Oops. theft, and, like, other just, like, petty crime in the area. There is uh, one point where the state had spent $100,000 to put the building in working order, and yet somehow something went wrong the first week of that play, and their lead actor was sent to the hospital twice. Oh my god, were they putting on Spider-Man the Broadway show? Yeah, I don't know, but there was a fire in the, during the inaugural summer season, and basically it was just like this huge disaster. In terms of haunting, this theater, which is 
located on Elm Street, of all places. What a um, nightmare. What a nightmare. There is a sense of being watched and weird occurrences where, like, electronic equipment malfunctions while on the ground and, like, just, you know, weird shit, like, that you'd feel like, okay, I'm in somewhere haunted. Many psychic photographs have been attained on the property, and there's also been reports of murder, death, and sexual assault on the property, which has also yeah. added elements to the mix. I will say for the incident of sexual assault, the Cosmic Society could not corroborate the report. They couldn't find any evidence that that actually happened. Oh. So they're like... It might have just been, like, a spooky story. Like might have just been like, and you know what else happened yeah. here? Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah, so they couldn't find, like, any other, like, substantial evidence about that, where they were like, yeah. there are no other reports except for this one rumor. But in 19... 19- 1995, a man named Nelson Rivard was killed on the Shakespeare Theater grounds. He was stabbed eight times by George Oskai, who lived in a nearby boarding house. No motive was ever given. The librarians in Stratford have recalled that an old man was found frozen to death at the theater, but there was also, like, a hard time finding, like, extra evidence to substantiate that. Jesus Christ! Yeah, and the administration building of the theater complex was originally built in 1785. The other sources thought it might have been the 1830 or 1840s, and then great or greatly modified at that time. And basically, yeah, it's just like this like really old spooky building that like just had all these like malfunctions in the 90s, and like people could not figure out like why. I think at this point it's doing Crazy. pretty well. I mean, not counting covid (laughs) but yeah it was just like this weird place that things happen and just seemed kind of cursed in the 90s when it just like was doing so poorly that's my that's that's nuts and why did i find this one because i was looking really hard for any theater in the world that is a shakespeare theater or tangentially related to shakespeare that could possibly be haunted and i had found no such thing how is the globe not haunted? Like, I get that the original one burned down, but, like, you would think even the rebuilt one would be super haunted. Right, like, residual ghosts from yeah. the original just stuck around even... Yeah, they're like, look, I get it, the house burned down and we're sad about it, but, like, we don't have anywhere yeah. else to go, so I... we'll just wait it out. Uh. So the next theater I'm going to talk about is the New Amsterdam Theater in New York City, which has one identified resident ghost. They know exactly who it is. It is Olive Thomas. Who's Olive Thomas, Courtney? I'm so glad you asked. Olive came to Manhattan when she was 16, and she was quickly dubbed the most beautiful girl in New York City. Which, like, there were a lot of girls in New York City at the time, so, like... Get it, girl. She became a member of the Ziegfeld Follies, which were just like this, like, in the 20s, this was like the be-all and end-all, like, dance troupe. Ladies in probably scandalous garb at the time, but now we're like, eh, you can't see a nip, you're fine. But like, you know, doing stuff like, I just read earlier today that they helped pioneer the pogo stick through an ad campaign because they they would do a bunch of stunts on pogo sticks. Okay, that's the same group. Yeah, Ziggy okay. Follies. I've seen so, I've seen the girl the gals on the pogo sticks before. Yeah. So the Ziegfeld Follies girls, they were like the it girls of New York City at the time. So the fact that Olive Thomas was one of them, fifteen out of ten for Olive. She also performed at the New Amsterdam Theater as part of the Ziegfeld Follies chorus. So that's her tie to the theater. She was seemingly destined to be a major star of silent films and Broadway shows alike. 
you would have assumed had you seen her perform, you'd be like, oh yeah, this girl's going places. Look at that. That's a face made for silent movies. Oh, yeah. Like, she looks, she's so beautiful and looks like she would be oh, yeah. in that era. Yeah. Yeah. So, Olive moved out west. She moved to Hollywood. Unfortunately, once she was in Hollywood, she met Jack Pickford, who was the brother of Mary Pickford, who was like the silent movie star. Like, Mary Pickford was, she was what you wanted to be. I would assume, I mean, maybe Olive genuinely fell for him. She might have also just thought like, oh, he's related to Mary Pickford. Maybe this can be a way in for me. Unfortunately, Jack Pickford sucked. Oh, God. Uh, Most people described him as a 'er ne'er-do-well, which was... Mostly because he never did well. (laughs) After they married, they went to Paris, and Jack was like, Hey, Olive, uh, turns out I have syphilis, so you probably have it too. Okay, bye! Oh, God, he's like Hemingway. (laughs) Yeah, so Olive then accidentally, heavy air quotes, accidentally, took an overdose of Jack's syphilis medication. Unfortunately, at the time, they treated syphilis with mercury. So Olive took almost the entire contents of the bottle and passed away. To me, it seems like this wasn't an accident. I don't know if it was Jack trying to, like, get out of being married. So he was like, you have syphilis. Take a bunch of pills. Or if she just didn't want to deal with him anymore. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Officials ruled it an accidental overdose, but it, it was weird circumstances. Yeah. Upon her death, Olive's body was returned to New York for burial. But... Because she, I think she was only 25 when she passed away. Oh, so she, she was still very young. She still had a lot of life left in her. So she wasn't done performing, mm. even though she had died. Workers at the New Amsterdam Theater started telling friends that they'd run into Olive backstage. Is Siegfried Follies, or Ziegfeld Follies, are they performing again? Is she back in town? What's the deal? Whoa. And then their friends would go, oh, you didn't hear. Olive died. So <clears throat> what was it that they were seeing? Olive's appearances continued through the 1920s, but if you'll remember, probably starting in the 1930s because of what happened, but like 42nd Street and Broadway kind of went through a decline. Uh So New Amsterdam Theater also was in a decline, so people weren't really going to the theater. So Olive was mostly performing to an empty house for about 60 years. Wow. Then in the 1990s, a little known company called Disney came along. Oh, yeah. Disney this is where Beauty and the Beast was or Lion King? This is where Aladdin was. It's where Lion King was one of the first shows they put on in 1997. Wow. So it's where Aladdin a couple of years ago was debuting. Mm-hmm. Disney bought the theater in the mid-90s and began restoring it. But as soon as the restoration work started up, construction workers realized they aren't the only ones visiting the off-limits area. So too was a beautiful young woman wearing a sash and carrying a blue pill bottle. And when the theater reopened in 1997, the sightings began again in full force. Olive is most commonly spotted beneath the trap of the stage. So, like, the stage has a trap door. Mm -hmm. So she, usually people will spot her there, and she'll cross up to the stage. She'll walk across it. Sometimes she'll dance or just, like, do something, you know, performance-y. And then she will disappear into a solid wall. Weirdly. It doesn't matter who has seen her. Most of the time, people don't see her in groups, but every single person who sees her and hears her speak imitates her voice a certain way, and they all imitate it the exact same way. So, 
I'm choosing to interpret this the spooky way where it's like they genuinely heard her voice so they know exactly how it sounds. And it's not just that they're all doing a generic girl voice like, oh, la-dee-da, sir. Welcome to the Ziegfeld Folly. Like, I'm assuming it's genuinely like something spooky. Mm-hmm. Wow. Then you have Dana Amendola, who was the VP of Operations for the Disney Theatrical Group as of 2016. I don't know if he still is. I did not look it up because I frankly don't care. But at some point he was. He was originally skeptical of the ghost stories and he was like, there's no way until one night. He was touring the theater because they were renovating parts of it underneath the stage to serve as office space. So he was Mm -hmm. walking around when, as he passed directly under the stage and under the trap door... He heard the sounds of someone tap dancing on the boards above him. He rushed upstairs to confront the intruder and found no one was in there. Doors were locked. He was alone. During previews of the Aladdin show that they just put on, mm-hmm. a female replacement conductor was brought in. And the replacement conductor had heard stories about Olive and had been inside the theater before. But she was nervous about interacting with the ghost. So she went to the theater and said... Well, Olive, I'm back again, and I'm a little nervous. I just wanted to introduce myself again and ask if you could please give me some good luck. I wonder what the Follies girls would have thought of a female conductor. Just then, four of the newly installed light bulbs in the dressing room flickered on and off for a few seconds before stopping. It was like a wink, said the conductor. She was signaling she was fine with the idea. Wow. Even audience members have reported interacting with Olive as well. There was one woman who had asked members of the back of house staff, can I get a booster seat for my kid? And the rule is back of house staff tries not to interrupt the show unless it's an emergency. So they're like, we'll wait till intermission. We'll bring a booster seat out. So intermission hits. They bring out a booster seat. And the woman goes, oh, no, we already got one from the lady back there. And that night they were like, there are no women working back of house in that part of the theater. And even if there were, it's protocol that we don't interrupt shows. But they had the booster seat. So somebody brought it to them. Uh... And now Disney has embraced Olive because she's seemingly not going anywhere. They've put photos of her up at every entrance to the theater. To keep mischief at a minimum, they encourage visitors and workers alike to blow a kiss or touch one of the picture frames as kind of like a, hey, Olive, how's it going? And then Olive will be a little more chill because Olive is a little bit sassy and we respect a sassy bitch. (laughs) There was... Uh, I I don't know if any of you all remember, but a few years ago, the big hit at the Oscars was the movie The Artist, the silent Mm -hmm. movie about old-timey Hollywood. Yeah. So a group of Disney staffers were sitting in the office of the New Amsterdam Theater talking about it, and they were wondering how many of the Ziegfeld Follies girls became film stars, and they were like, you know, I know Olive Thomas was one, but then somebody interrupted and said, no, the real star of the silent era was Mary Pickford, who, if you'll remember, was Olive's sister-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then this is where Dana, the VP, takes over. Now, maybe Olive got a little upset about that because when someone said, I wonder what Olive Thomas would think of the artist, a stack of 13 or 14 DVDs on the table next to them flew into the air and crashed across the room. They all sat in stunned silence. That stack had been there for a long time, and there was no obvious way that they could have fallen, let alone flew across the room. They didn't fall straight down as CDs would have done, so like, you know, when you stack something and just kind of... No. They went flying about three feet, and then they hit a wall and flopped. And several people witnessed this, and they didn't even make the connection to Olive right away, but when they told the VP about it, he was like, I bet that was Olive. Oh my god. 
Olive also does not like it when people try to make her appear and perform on command. They've instituted Mm. a nightly check. So like if you're thinking of, oh, I'll go see a show at this theater and then just hide and wait for lights out to see her. Mm -hmm. One, they do a check now for you. And two, if you are trying to summon Olive, she'll be like, how about fuck you? And she won't show. Wow. But if you aren't looking for her, you may just feel her sneak up behind you, tap you on the back, and then disappear because she also likes pulling pranks. And that's the ghost of Olive Thomas at the new Amsterdam Theater. So I am going to need to ask Kelsey about this. Because... One of her best friends from high school and college, who mm-hmm. was a bridesmaid along with me for her wedding, was Aladdin. Like, on oh. Broadway. Oh. So you need to ask them so if they knew about Olive. I need to ask, either I need to just DM him directly, because we're Facebook friends, or just, like, ask Kelsey to ask him about Olive. Because yeah. I, I have many questions. <laughs> right? That's I was so like, cool. Isn't it? I love that it's, like, one specific person, and they know who she is, and so they're like, you know what? We're not going to fight this. We're just going to put a bunch of pictures of her up, and everybody be cool to Olive. That's bananas. Okay. It's fucking I'm wrong. making a note to myself to talk to Kelsey <laughs> after this about, can you please ask Jacob about this? <laughs> I have questions. As you should. The Thomaston Opera House is also in Connecticut, but is not in the same... It's in Thomaston, Connecticut. Connecticut's a very small state, so I figured... I didn't look at the geography, but I'm sure it's not that far from Stratford. Yeah. So, there's one seat near the second row on the left of the balcony at the Thomaston Opera House where no one should sit. Even when the (gasps) theater... That's Phantom of the Opera shit! (laughs) Which, we're going to check off his gun, Phantom of the Opera, for a second. Oh, yes, we are. You don't even know, but we are. Oh, hell yeah. Okay. This is going to be mentioned <laughs> more than once today, folks. Family <laughs> opera. So even when the theater is packed, that seat is always reserved because it is said to be this ver- the very seat of a ghost named Butch. <laughs> Amazing. Whenever a I hear the name Butch, Butch I just think of like I a little wanted. bulldog. Right. It's just like a really bulky dog who's like, woof, woof, I'm here for the show. Please get me a booster seat and some milk bones. Ooh. Una loves milk bones. I give her milk bones. Aw. Is Um, she secretly named Butch? Is she haunting a Connecticut theater? She is not haunting a Connecticut theater. She is haunting the house. As far as you know. There's actually a plaque on the seat with Butch's name on it. Some of the actors who performed on stage swear that they've seen Butch sitting in that seat during performances. It makes sense that there might be a ghost hanging out there. After all, the theater was built in 1884 on top of a graveyard. Oh, good. That's a good place for a theater. The cemetery was relocated, but apparently Butch stuck around. According to Jeff Dunn, executive director of the Opera House, there are people who said they would swear till the day they die that there is a ghost in the theater. I've never said this to anyone before, but one cold, rainy, and windy night, I was working alone here at 2.30 in the morning. I heard someone walking up the steps to my office. The doorknob started to turn. I went to the door, but when I opened it, no one was there. I checked the whole theater. There was no one there. Others say the organ in the theater has played by itself at night. It seems as though this theater ghost likes to let the living know that Butch is in the house. Butch is in the house. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Not to go full poltergeist and not sure. to double back too far, but when you say they moved the cemetery, did they also move the bodies? I don't know. I'm, they might have, because they were relocating the cemetery. 
Did they maybe leave one body behind? They forgot Butch. Somebody, and yeah, now they Butch left is Butch chilling. And now Butch I, is like, well, you don't want me to go, so I guess I'll hang. Plausible. <laughs> All right. You mentioned the Phantom of the Opera. Yes. Would you like to hear about the Palais Garnier? Ooh. Palais Garnier? Sure. Assuming. Palais Garnier? Well... So, and this is word for word what I put in my notes. I was monologuing in my notes a little bit. Sorry. <laughs> a fun fact about me that a lot of people who know me in real life and Kate from the Ignorance Was Bliss podcast and Lindsay from 33% Pulp podcast know is that I love Phantom of the Opera. I was obsessed with it in high school. I really loved the film version. I know it's garbage. I know it's a super problematic musical. I don't care. It will always hold this special place in my heart. And I, to this day, still like the 2005 film version. Do not come for me. I know objectively Gerard Butler is not a good singer. I also do not care. So, imagine my surprise today when I found out that the Palais Garnier in Paris is basically the opera house from the musical and may have inspired the original Leroux story about it. Oh, shit. So... Palais Garnier has a lake beneath it. If you'll remember, one of the key features of the Opera House and Fan of the Opera is there's a big grotto and there's a big lake mm-hmm. under there. That's a real thing this place has. During the construction of the Opera House, Charles Garnier, the architect, had to come up with an innovative way to address a problem with the foundation. Basically, during construction, while they were digging out the foundation, they hit a part of the Seine. And they were like, okay, fine, we'll just pump the water out. But no matter how much water they pumped out, I don't know what part of the river they hit, but that shit kept refilling. So they were like, okay, we'll just keep pumping it out. and just kept coming right back in. So finally, Garnier was like, no, I like this fucking location. We're going to deal with this river. So he built cisterns into the foundation, creating an artificial lake effect. Wow. Fish now live in this artificial lake below the opera house, and sometimes the Paris Fire Department does underwater drills there. Wow. Yeah, they just do a little bit of diving. It's fine. Then, in 1896, what would you say is one of the most notable things that happens in Phantom of the Opera? Wouldn't you say it's the collapse of the chandelier? Yes. Well, in 1896, a counterweight for this opera house's prized seven-ton chandelier collapsed and killed one person because it landed on somebody. Oh, and, like, shit. It wasn't the full chandelier, I know, but like it was a counterweight, and that's close to fuck enough. Mm-hmm. The best part, are you ready for where it gets super fan of the Opry? Allegedly in history, there was a real phantom who lived down underneath the opera house. <laughs> So, Gaston Leroux heard the story that it was, in the early 1900s, one of Garnier's architects, a man by the name of Eric, if you'll remember, in the book, canonically, the fan of the opera's name is Eric. Eric, uh. Eric was like, hey bros, I really love this opera house. Any chance I could live below it? And it's unclear if anybody actually told him yes or no. Regardless, he went down under the opera house and he never came back out. Then, there's a more salacious version of the rumor that says that an 1873 stage fire claimed the life of a ballerina, and her fiancé, who was a pianist at the opera house, was disfigured in the blaze. After the fire, the pianist moved below ground in the opera house and was never seen again. And I was like, this is all I have there's ever wanted. two phantoms? There's two phantoms? And, like, I was reading something. There's a couple other things where it's, like, they found in, I want to say, like, 2008, they found all of these old recordings 
of female opera singers from the past, like, from, like, the early 1900s. So it's like, oh, shit, there may have been somebody under that fucking opera house recording some shit, fan of the opera style. Probably it was just, like, an archival collection where they were like, yeah, we'll just record them and we'll hold on to it, and then they forgot about it. But, like, right? That's and then it, bananas. And if that's not enough, there's also a non-fan of the opera-related thing happening at this opera house. The ghost of the Palais Garnier is actually an older woman who roams the opera house itself and nearby streets and calls out for her lost love, who spurned her. Aww. But that's not explicitly fan of the opera related, so I care less. But, like, isn't that incredible? (laughs) That's bananas. I was like, I assumed it was all made up, but no, No. there's some, like, legit facts to it. Oh, that's so crazy. Fan of the opera has mentioned one just teeny morsel of, like, the next thing I want to talk about. This is our most Phantom of the Opera episode ever, and I'm so happy about it's it. It's so great. We should be talking <laughs> about Phantom of the Opera more often. Yeah. Anyway, tell so, me about the Phantom of the Opera some more, and, like, whatever other ghosts, too, yeah. I guess. I don't really care. <laughs> so it's just, it's just going to be, like, one little phrase that the Phantom of the Opera is going to be in. But That's fine. I'm going to talk next about the Haunted Theater in Mackinac Island, Michigan. Ooh, I love Mackinac Island. Me, too. It's and so cute. I, I've not been yet but a few years ago when even though my family's from michigan yeah a few years ago my mom and i went to japan and my dad and my brother went up to michigan to visit my grandparents in central michigan and they took Mm -hmm. a vacation to mackinac island and i'm really jealous i was like looking up pictures today after finding this theater and i was Mm -hmm. like i want to go to dare i want to stop distance teaching and i want to go to the hotel dare we went i must have been in like 10th or 11th grade Mm -hmm. The ultimate destination of the family vacation was the Mall of America. That one did not do it for me. But on the way, we stopped at Mackinac Island, yeah. and it was super cute, and we got really good fudge, and then we saw yeah. the big bridge. Yeah, Mackinac Island is very famous for their fudge. Yeah, it's but, some good-ass fudge. So it is, is a reputation well-earned. Right? Yeah, I, I can't. Well, maybe next summer or next spring break I can go to Mackinac Island. Yes. But, Watch out. The mosquitoes are gigantic. Oh, yeah. But it's a small price you pay for really good fudge. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as I was starting my research for today's episode, I used the phrase haunted theater. And as I was typing in haunted theater into the Google search bar, it gave me haunted theater Mackinac Island. And I and was like, like yes, okay. Please. And so I clicked on that. So in <laughs> terms of location, of you may have heard of Mackinac Island before. It's also, it's spelled Mackinac with a C, yes. but it's pronounced Mackinac. Yep. And... So last September, Mike Pence got in trouble with a bunch of Michiganders, including myself and my family. He got us all super heated because he traveled by an eight-car motorcade on the island. It's a big deal because it's an island where there are no cars. Yeah. <laughs> it's all bikes and foot and horses. Yes. And, like, horse buggies. They do have snowmobiles in the winter, and the police have one Jeep that they use to like, basically as, like, a shuttle trip car for old people so they can get groceries. Yeah. <laughs> and they have maintenance trucks, like, several times a year come onto the island, but that's literally it. And so they got a lot of people heated about it. So that's why you might have heard of Mackinac before, because about a year ago, that thing happened. Or maybe you heard of it a minute and a half ago when we were talking about fudge. Yeah. Delicious, delicious fudge. Who doesn't love fudge? So, from the Michigan Tourism website, this is how they advertise on the Michigan Tourism website. The Haunted Theater on Mackinac Island is a family-owned and operated business since 1974. 
We're yes. a six, we are a six-month seasonal haunted house open May 1st through October 31st. We have been providing screaming, laughing, laughing fun for over 45 years to visitors of all ages, with customers returning years later with their children and grandchildren. We are Amazing. part of Mackinac Island history. The original building in this location was built as a roller rink in 1885 by Mr. Aww. Charles W. Casey, a Caskey, who built many of the first cottages and homes here on Mackinac, including the Grand Hotel. I really want to stay there. My dad and my grandparents and my brother stayed there, and it seems really cute. In 1895, the building was used as a dance hall. In 1907, a family theater. In 1923, showing movie pictures. From Ooh, movie pictures. <laughs> and from 19, uh, 1917 to the present, it was called the Orpheum Theater. In 1974, we arrived. Here we are, the Haunted Theater. Historical, educational, and pure fun. Come join us. Senior citizens are free. Veterans yes. are free. Native Americans, as this land was their home, are free. Animals Amazing. are free. We love everybody. We are open every day from 11 to 8, with exceptions in spring and fall. We do special occasions and hours. Include us in your wedding plans. How about oh a midnight God. thrill with all of your adventuresome friends? You name it, we can do it. We love what we do. Our goal is everyone has a screaming, laughing, positive experience and take home an unforgettable memory. We are thankful to be part of your Mackinac Island experience. All right. That's and I was like, all right, Spoop I'm going there. Trip. We're going to Michigan. We're doing it. We're going we're gonna, to Mackinac Island. We're going to scoop we're gonna my grandma up and we're going to take her on a trip. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to grab Dr. Elisa Lucas. Yeah. And we're just all going to go to Mackinac say, Island. Grandma and Dr. Elisa Lucas don't live far from each other, so... Nope, it is a, we can get them both on the way. <laughs> we'll get them both on the way. So, so from their actual website, they talk a little bit more about what they've got. So they describe themselves as not a theater of movies, but a haunted house of three-dimensional monsters. Within these halls, you'll encounter horrors of the past and artist conceptions of monsters from Mackinac's history. Ooh. And so they, it actually starts out with, like, when you get to the entrance... The acrid, scarred visage of the Phantom of the Opera greets you, playing the haunted strains of the symphony he penned and lost to the treachery of a Parisian opera director. See, that's not going to work on me. I'm going to be like, high five, bro. Yeah, <laughs> I am definitely here for you in particular, I, Eric. <laughs> yeah, let's just let's just sit and let's just hash it out. Let's talk musical compositions. Let's talk living in a beautiful underwater grotto. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and so they have a bunch of other like variety, like a variety of like creatures there, like the Ocrix, the Manitou, uh, the they've got the locate like a model of the Arch Rock. And just a bunch of other, like, crazy monsters and stuff. And so Amazing. I'm just, like, now really tickled. I'm like, I want to go to Mackinac Island because right? Mackinac Island looks awesome. But also now I want to go to the Haunted Theater at Mackinac Island. <laughs> so Dr. Elisa Lucas, watch out. We're going to scoop you up. Yep. We're, We're going to scoop you up. We're going to kidnap Grandma. We're going to go to Mackinac Island. We're going to stay We're gonna at the Grand Hotel. Full of fudge. We're going to go eat fudge. We're going to ride bikes. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's going to be great. Spoop our vacation. I love it. All right. Well, there are so many haunted theaters. We definitely got to do a part two to this because as I was doing my research, I kept finding like more and more haunted theaters. Yeah. Because like my fear when I put haunted theaters on the calendar was there aren't going to be a lot of them or most of them are just going to be like, and the Smith Theater routinely sees orbs. And I'm like, I don't care. I want like, and the actress died there, and now she performs as Lady Macbeth every night. I want that shit. Yeah. And a lot of them are that shit. So we got to keep talking about haunted theaters, because I am. Yeah, we'll do we'll do a part two of haunted theaters next week, because there there's one in China that went full poltergeist. Oh, shit. Yeah, that gives me <laughs> also an opportunity to like go look into some of these Virginia ones a little bit more. 
Yeah. I'm really and that'll excited. give me the opportunity to get to the one that I didn't get to, because there are a bunch of haunted ones in, like, the UK. Oh, you know, I just looked up photos of the Palais Theater. Yeah. Palais Grenier and... Yeah. Grenier and... <laughs> Have you been there? No, I haven't, I haven't been to Paris, but in Kingdom Hearts... Dream job distance. There is I uh, there's a a mouse three musketeers three musketeers level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it part of it takes place on an opera house and it looks like this. <laughs> so I need to find out if the three musketeers has anything to do with police Garnier. See, your Kingdom Hearts was my fan of the opera. <laughs> my fan of the opera was my Kingdom Hearts. Like it just that was it. That was me in high school. It was all the way fan of the opera until it got ousted by OK Go. Oh, but ah, oh, top notch. Tell top us your notch. favorite. Does your hometown or where you live does it have a haunted theater? Because they're all over the world, genuinely. Like there was another one in New Zealand. New Zealand's not that big, right. so don't hold out on us. Email spoopower at gmail and tell us about your favorite haunted theaters. It is. It is. It's the Palais. <laughs> it's the Palais Garnier, <laughs> but it <laughs> in Kingdom Hearts and also the movie. The Mickey, Donald, a Goofy, the Three Musketeers. Amazing. Well, you heard it here first, folks. That's the most important thing <laughs> you learned this episode. Garnier is also in Kingdom Hearts Dream Drop Distance. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Well, thanks for listening. Again, if you need a pep talk or a little bit of encouragement, you can email us at gmail.com or contact us on the socials at SpoopHour on Twitter and Instagram. Let's raise some good trouble. Feel your feelings, but hang in there. We love you. We love we you. We love the fan of the opera. We love Kingdom Hearts. We love Fudge. <laughs> Even though we live abroad, as women of Indian origin, we have a common thread that binds us together because of our strong cultural background. NRA Woman is a platform for women to share their stories and experiences on various topics. Our podcast is about inspiring NRA women and their amazing stories. Some of the stories we've covered include growing up in a joint family in India, adopting a child as a single woman, and rebuilding one's life after the loss of a child. Take a listen. We hope you'll be inspired or learn something new. I'm Bettina. And I'm Lenora. And we're the voices behind NRI Woman Podcast. We're all heart. Just look for NRI Woman wherever you get your podcasts or find us at nriwoman.com. New episodes come out every Monday. Make sure you subscribe. And my cat is also extremely charged up. So if you hear weird crinkly noises, it's because I have not put my freshly laundered sheets back on my bed. So it's my cat wandering across my dust mite container. Just super jazzed. Or is it a ghost? The ghost of the thing that died in my vents. Genuinely, that traumatized me. (laughs) I texted my mom about it. My mom was like, did you get a picture? And I was like, no, I was busy being traumatized. (laughs) Anyway, meanwhile, if that happened, like if I was with you, I would have been like, oh, yeah, it was (laughs) gross. I feel like if anybody else had been home, I would have taken one look at it and been like, can someone else deal with this for the love of God? This is extremely out of my wheelhouse. (laughs) It's one of those things where I would take a photo of it and show everyone else be like, I had to look at it. So you have to now, too. Yeah. Whereas like literally Friday night as I was falling asleep. Just, like, certain parts of it were just flashing in my mind. So I'm, like, trying to go to sleep. And my brain's like, hey, remember that part of it? Do you remember that part? What about this? And I'm like, please just let me sleep. For the love of God. I'm so So. sorry this happened to you. It's fine. It can haunt me. I'm going to punch it in its fucking ghost face.